On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talk with Emily Palmer, who is the Chief Member Services Officer of the United States Golf Association. Uh, Before Emily went to the USGA, she was with the Southern California Golf Association, uh, and um, but she's been with the USGA oh since around 2012, and um, in several roles, including overseeing uh, the Allied Golf Associations and helping to streamline those and make them. Uh, kind of more uh, effective and efficient golf associations. And um, most recently, uh, when Mike Wan came on board at the USGA a couple years ago, uh, he asked her to become chief member services officer. Um, So she has a variety of things in her portfolio in that role. So we talk about all of that and, and her growing up in the Northwest and being a Division One golfer um, at um, Northern Arizona University uh, before beginning her career at the SCGA and then going on to the USGA. And then we talk about the overall mission of the USGA, which is um, kind of built around uh, U for Unify, S for Showcase, G for Govern, and A for Advance. Um, and uh, that's sort of the... Um, structure of the overall messaging these days and and we go through that as well as some of the challenges that the USGA is facing. So up next on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, Emily Palmer from the USGA. Well welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy and I'm really pleased today to be able to welcome to the program Emily Palmer who is the chief member services officer in an executive role um, in the USGA at headquarters back in um, northern New Jersey. And um, uh, Emily, thank you so much for making time today to speak with us. Yeah, happy to be with you, Larry. Um, So just to maybe give people a little bit of context and go back uh, to sort of your roots. I know you grew up in the Northwest, just south of Seattle. Um, maybe tell us um, kind of how you were first introduced to the game of golf. Sure. Uh, happy to. Yeah, I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest um, and really was introduced to the game from my parents. Um, interestingly enough, my my mom first started playing golf and taught my dad how to play golf or didn't really teach him, but they, they started playing together. Um, and it really has become an important component of our family. I have a brother who also plays um, so it, it started very early for me. I was probably five, six, seven years old. Wow, that's um, young, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, played, I, I recall playing in some, you know, uh, four-holers events where they really basically two holes are, you know, kind of cut in half each hole. So two holes on one hole, right. there's a flagstick right. in the middle of the fairway. Um, and then just sort of went from there. So it's definitely been a part of our family's life and my life for a very long time. That's cool. So did you play junior golf and play in school, high school at all or any of that stuff uh, in the North? I did. Yeah, I did. I was very active in in playing in the junior golf arena. Um, I played in a lot of local events, Washington Junior Golf Association, also um, the Washington State Golf Association, which I think now is rebranded as Washington Golf, and then the Pacific Northwest Golf Association. So a lot of opportunities for those in the competitive space um at at the junior level um so played in a lot of those events played of course high school high school golf and then um you know had an opportunity to to explore playing in college and um i thought you know that might be an interesting way to also go to school and and play a sport and be a college athlete and so it, it worked it worked itself out um for me to do that Right. And you mentioned your brother. Um, you're being modest, both Division One golfers. Um, so uh, and you ended up going to Northern Arizona um, in Flagstaff uh, for golf and you played on the team there. So what was your college career like in terms of playing golf? What was that like for you? Yeah, it was I, I loved it. It was a wonderful way to go to school um, and, you know, to juggle, learn how to juggle multiple responsibilities. Um including, you know, classwork and, and schooling and then, you know, being a, an athlete. Um, you know, one of the things I looked for when I was evaluating 
opportunities at the, the collegiate level was, you know, I, I wanted to play immediately. So I, there were lots of schools I could have maybe considered. Um, I don't know if I would have been in the competitive mix right away. And so, you know, one of the things I thought was I'd love to go somewhere where I could play right sure. off the bat. Um, you know, NAU was a division one school. And, and the neat thing about college golf events is, you know, they're hosted by top tier schools and it's really right. an invitational. So you're still afforded the opportunity to compete against other top schools um, from other parts of the country. So I, I really enjoyed it. It was a wonderful way to travel, to meet new people, you know, experience um, being on a team. We had a lot of international players on our team, which was a little unique, but I think the the discipline, the you know the the organizational skills that you acquire, juggling multiple responsibilities, um, you know things like you know commitment and follow through, you know all sort of sure. basic skills, but are really woven into being a college athlete. So I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and Flagstaff was a great place to to spend four years. Um, uh, you know, the the chance to have seasons in Arizona yeah. is yeah. is unique. Um, we were given a chance to practice in Sedona on a on a daily basis in the in the, you know, I'll call it winter time where there was snow sometimes on the ground in Flagstaff and um, Sedona was a marvelous background for for golf. So, yeah, I, I could talk on and on about my time at NAU, but it was it was uh, definitely enjoyable. I was going to ask you about Sedona because, um, you know, I, I mean, my, I've made one trip up there in my life to the Grand Canyon. I remember going through Sedona and Flagstaff and, um, of course, Sedona, people know, you know, the Red Rock country is just gorgeous. Some people seen any automobile car commercials over the years. They like to film them there with the background and that must be pretty cool playing golf. I've never played there, but I must imagine the scenery and everything playing golf must be spectacular. Yeah, I think that's why we had so many international players because they probably, you know, saw some of the the you know marketing materials and whatnot um, to see some of that backdrop. But there are a number of of you know nice facilities in Sedona and also Flagstaff too has built and developed a number of um, clubs even in recent years since I've graduated. Um, so clearly Arizona is a golf state and very much the case in Sedona and Flagstaff. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you're playing there and, and, um, and, you know, just on the juggling thing, I can appreciate that. Um, I sort of, I'm a big follower of the um, Stanford women's golf team. And, you know, I don't know if you know, the no laying up folks did that um, incredible um, video uh, 90 minutes about the team. And this is back when Rose and Rachel were both playing um, and um, uh, and and they won the ended up winning the championship that year. But just the whole juggling, seeing them, you know, at the crack of dawn, Rose going out to the practice range where it's it, it really is a challenge to be a division one athlete. I'm sure the juggling skills, you really have to do that to survive. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think the the unique things about golf is the the length of the season it's you know it's right. fall there's a fall season and a spring season so and clearly in the summertime when when you're not in school you know playing in a lot of you know summer events so yeah it's a constant juggling act um throughout the year as well as you know early mornings and you know late nights yeah it definitely is it's a it's it's a uh it takes a lot of skill and organization to succeed in that as as obviously you did um did you ever sort of, so you're playing there, playing at Northern Arizona. You Did you ever think about trying to make it as a player? No, if I'm being serious, no. I I had a little bit of success, but but was never, you know, in the top caliber of, of female college golfers. Um, and so, the, you know, the reality was that was going to be a short road for me. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I think I was pretty you know, rational around, you know, that, that just wasn't going to make sense. Now, on the other hand, I wanted to work in sports and, and felt passionately about golf and, and felt like maybe there is something, you know, on the business side of the game. And that is really what led me to an opportunity, um, finding the USGA Boatwright internship, um, program. And so I think knowing that I wasn't going to dabble as a, 
player and in, in continuing to try to play professionally, I think was was helpful because I was able to focus my attention on, you know, uh, a, really what's next career wise. Right. Um, no, that makes sense. And so you, you, you graduate with a bachelor's degree in business administration and you get the boat ride internship. So how did that come across your screen? And maybe just, I mean, I'm a little familiar with it because being on the board of the SCGA, but maybe also describe for people what that is like and, um, and, 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 and in your case, how you sort of decided to take it. Yeah. So maybe just talk for a second about the USGA boat ride internship program. Yeah. It's a program that has been around since 1991. Um, and since that time, the USGA has invested about $35 million in it. And what it really amounts to is it's a it's a pipeline. It's an avenue for those that are interested in golf administration, the ability to serve as an intern anywhere from three months to 12 months at one of our allied golf associations uh, like the Southern California Golf Association. And that internship is paid through USGA dollars. Um, and so it's it's a great way for, again, like I said, those that are interested or those that don't know enough about golf administration to get their feet wet and have a paid opportunity to do that. And the, the Bowright internship allows an individual exposure to really all facets of, of the AGA. And AGAs are our primary delivery network for USGA core services. So things like the handicap system, course rating, amateur status, rules of golf, USGA qualifiers are all administered locally or regionally by the AGA. And so as a boat ride intern, you spend a little bit of time in each of those departments, more or less. Um, and so it's been tremendously successful for, for the AGA community. In fact, we've we've recently done some polling 35% of AGA staff members are former boat ride interns. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. Which is a pretty, pretty high number. It sure is. Yeah. And I I, I think the number is 32% of AGA executive directors are former boat ride interns. Wow. So, you know, it's it's been um it's been a program that has, you know, it's well established and there are many who have benefited, including myself. And I'm very grateful to the program you know, for getting, for getting my start in call, uh, in golf administration. Um, I came across the boat Rate program simply by, you know, doing my own research online and I stumbled into it on the USGA website. And I thought, you know, there's a year long internship opportunity based in Southern California. Um, let me give it a shot. Um, I've, I've lived places where I wasn't from. I went away to school and I was, right. you know, I was fine. And, you know, what, what would a year be in, in Los Angeles? And lo and behold, it worked out. So that's a little bit about the boat rate program and a little bit about how I got introduced to it. So you're doing, you're in LA, uh, doing that at the SCGA, um, and you get offered, uh, during the internship, a full-time job with the SCGA and you become director of club services uh, I think at the SCGA, I mean, maybe talk about kind of what that position involved uh, for you. Sure. So in full transparency, I, I actually had a couple of jobs at the SCGA before. Okay. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was given a, a chance to work full-time in the handicap and membership department and okay. um, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't know that much about the USG handicap system um, starting at the SCGA, even though I had played golf for many years competitively, I didn't have a handicap index because, you know, anything at the junior level was really scratched. There, there yeah, weren't any right. net events. And so right. I didn't, I didn't realize what, what was involved with the handicap system and the premise and, you know, how the calculation is made and the importance of peer review. And, you know, so all of those things um, really was a crash course um, for me. Um, but it was a wonderful opportunity to to really understand the, the main revenue source for AGAs because AGAs are really focused on membership. And membership in many instances is revolving around a handicap index. And so for me to really dive deep in the handicap system at the SCGA was it was a good chance to understand the AGA business model 
Um, and so I spent a, a few years in the handicap department, handicap and membership department, and then that transitioned into a role leading the club services team. And that, that club services department at the time was really focused on the SEGA club delegate program and club visitations, which was which was a new offering that the SEGA um, you know, rolled out to member clubs. And, and what the goal was, was for the SEGA to, to have a little bit of a face and um, a in-person peer-to-peer type of sharing opportunity to explain the value of the SEGA, the role that the organization plays within the greater golf ecosystem um, to drive a stronger connection between member clubs and the organization itself. And so these club visitations would entail me going out to meet with uh, a golf club, their board of directors, maybe the general manager, maybe the head professional, you know, the key leaders at the club to talk about the SEGA and also to listen, to hear about, you know, what's working well, what are areas that, you know, we should improve upon or, um, you know, just a, a good flow of information. Um, and that, I think, was was helpful for the SEGA at the time and had never done anything of that sort. And the club delegate program had been around for a while. Um, but again, that was another communications channel for for the SEGA to, to share messaging in a consistent way and also to seek feedback. No, that sounds great. And that makes makes sense. And then I think from there, you at, at some point, maybe around 2007 or so, if I'm remembering this, became, um, got involved with the International Association of Golf Administrators, the IAGA. Um, for people who aren't familiar with that, maybe what is that involved and what was your role in that? Sure. So the International Association of Golf Administrators um, really exists to to share information. And for, it's really, think of it like a kind of a professional trade organization of those that work in the golf business. Um, and there is an annual conference each year in person where the community gathers and, you know, shares what's, what are some of the new ideas, what really worked well this year, where, where are some associations struggling and, and how can others, you know, share some advice. And so the IAGA has been around for, for several decades, really primarily geared toward improving golf administration. Um, and the SCGA served as the host organization for the IAGA for right. for a number of years. And so um, I was given a chance to serve as the managing director for the IAGA in addition to my SCGA responsibilities. So it was sort of like sort of like my, you know, I don't know, moonlighting role, if you will, um, managing the IAGA in the annual conference and there's some annual surveying and some you know kind of job boards and things like that um but essentially it was a way for me to get more familiar with the aga community beyond southern california so understanding really the variety of associations that exist um you know at the state and regional level um as well as other groups that belong to the organization it's it's a group that I think most golf administrators at at the state and regional, and even here at the USGA, are committed or connected to um, today uh, as a member. Um, but I was, yeah, felt for, fortunate to be able to be connected and and like I said, get exposure to other organizations and other executive directors and leaders in the golf space. Which sounds like it must have been perfect background for what you end up doing at the USGA. So, but let, let's kind of roll it forward to that. So. 2012-ish, I think, you know, you're obviously having a great career at the SCGA and the USGA comes knocking. Um, and uh, maybe talk about how that opportunity came about and uh, kind of your thought process of, uh, you know, I know you, you mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, you're very comfortable moving to new places and stuff. And this is going to be another one going all the way across the country uh, from Los Angeles to Northern New Jersey. So how did that opportunity come about and kind of what was your thought process in, in that? Yeah, so um, the, the USGA was looking for a leader for their regional affairs team. And I, I recall seeing the job posting, but I, I remember at the time I felt like I was not qualified, you know, for the job and, you know, it was well above my abilities. And so I, I didn't apply. And I 
was contacted by somebody at the USGA, um, I want to say in late 2011. And um, I, I was going to be at the same place as this person. And they said, hey, let's grab breakfast and, you know, would love to kind of talk about the job, this job. And so I'll be honest, I didn't even have my resume like updated because <laughs> I had been working at the SCGA for eight, nine years, maybe nine out years, of college. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I had breakfast and, um, it was with Mike Butts, who was a longtime USGA staff member. Um, I think worked at the USGA for nearly 40 years. And, um, he, he really talked openly about the position and asked if I was interested in applying. And of course, at that point I said, sure, I'd love to apply. Um, (laughs) so, you know, from that breakfast, really things unfolded rather quickly. I, I came back to New Jersey for an in-person interview and um, really tour of the office. I had been here previously when I was a Boatwright intern for, for an orientation of interns, but I hadn't been back to New Jersey since. And I think this was in December, if I'm not mistaken. And there was snow on the ground and, you know, it was very winter, winter-like yeah. here. Um, but it was a good series of conversations and I felt like, well, if nothing less, then it was a good way for me to interact and get to know some other, sure. you know, other leaders here at the USGA. And then, um, you know, I got a call. It was a, the job was offered to me and I, I just felt like the, the, the opportunity to work at the USGA was something I, you know, had kind of only dreamed about and never really imagined was going to happen. And then, to step into a leadership role over the regional affairs or with the regional affairs team and working directly with the state and regional golf association community, which I knew so many of those people having spent time at the SCGA, but also managing things at the IAGA, it just felt like it was a perfect tailor-made chance. So um, I I took the the position and started in January of 2012 and um, Hard to believe it's been, you know, nearly 12 years since then. Yeah, it, it, time has flown by. But um, so you're, as you said, the position was heading regional affairs team. And um, maybe just you can talk about, and you've mentioned the AGAs, which is kind of the terminology we use these days for um, all of the, um, it stands for Allied Golf Associations, all the different regional and golf associations like the Southern California Golf Association. But maybe talk about, when you took that position, what the landscape was like in terms of, um, you know, AGAs and kind of the the um, task at hand in terms of trying to maybe streamline it and make it more efficient? Yeah, sure. So the Regional Affairs Department here at the USGA um, is, is largely um, organized in a way for us to manage and lead the relationships that the USGA has with golf associations at the state, regional, or local level. And so um, one of the things starting in my role in in leading the regional affairs teams was I really discovered how complex the state and the regional golf association world was. And I think that was eye-opening to me. There were upwards of 150 different organizations all doing different things, quite frankly. There were some organizations that served just men, some that served just women, some that focused on private clubs only, others focused on just public clubs, some rated golf courses but didn't offer handicapping, some just ran qualifiers but didn't handle amateur status applications. So it was a very complicated set of relationships that – the regional affairs team was ultimately responsible for managing. And so it really became clear that there was an opportunity for us to maybe think more consistently about how we manage our business, but also in doing so, raise the level of quality of services in a more consistent fashion across golfers throughout our country. And so, um, it was a, a long process, but we underwent a transformation within the, the state and regional golf association community as it relates to USGA core services. And I think I mentioned that earlier, but those core services are really, again, things that the USGA is ultimately responsible for. But we partner with our state and our regional associations to deliver those locally to golf 
courses and to individual golfers. Right. And so, you know, from our standpoint at the USGA, really there are products and services and the delivery channels, again, were inconsistent at best, varying levels of quality. It was very confusing as to where do I go as a golfer for, you know, a, a specific service. And so we underwent, a, again, a rather long and arguably painful process to bring more consistency and standardization and to really streamline the delivery of our products and services to the local level. And, and ultimately what transpired was a process whereby we went from about 150 different organizations doing different things for different customers to where we are today, which is 58 allied golf associations or AGAs as we call them that, um, that, serve all golfers, men and women, public and private clubs, and deliver the full suite of USGA services to all of their golfers and clubs. So we've eliminated the the one-offs and the individualized relationships that were managed for specific products. And now we deal with the full suite of activities through the AGA pipeline. Right. And 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 we've seen that here and just within the SCGA with the mergers that have happened over, you know, just precisely consistently of what you're talking about on a national level with the public links group. And, you know, uh, we got wonderful assets like Greg Kessler um, and, you know, the Women's Golf Association. So all that kind of merged in precisely uh, with the um, efficiency impact that you're describing. So that was quite an accomplishment. Um, And so you're, you're doing that. And then you become chief of staff, I think, in 2018. Um, so what was that like? I guess Mike Davis is probably still there at that point. So I'm sure you're working with him. But I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting the sense that gave you a, a, a good opportunity maybe to learn about some of the other parts of the organization at the USGA that you wouldn't that wasn't directly involved when you were doing regional affairs. Yeah, it sure did, Larry. Uh, you know, I I think almost because of the regional affairs work, which spanned a lot of different areas within our organization, I felt like I had a fairly decent grasp of USGA activities, but boy, was I mistaken because when, when (laughs) I, um, when I was in the chief of staff position, um, I really, the curtain was pulled back across the entire organization. And, you know, there's a lot of elements of our organization beyond just the work that we do with the AGA community, which, don't get me wrong, is is a big body of work. Um, but when you consider other things like, you know, on our championship side, you know, the, the U.S. Open is a monster. And so I really didn't have any involvement or awareness of the finer details there. But serving as the chief of staff, I I was able to to get a bit more familiar and connected to that. And that's just one, one of many examples. You know, another is you know, USGA Foundation, Green Section, our corporate partners team, like there's a lot of activities that are happening. So I mean, you got yeah, the museum like, too, right? I mean, there's lots museum, of things. Yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. But um, but yeah, the chief of staff opportunity came around in 2018. And, you know, Mike Davis um, at the time was um, was interested in, in really gaining gaining some assistance on you know, just getting a bit more organized internally and, and really tried to utilize this chief of staff role. There, there hadn't been that type of role previously, and there there isn't anybody in that role. There isn't that role now. Um, so, you know, I, I'm fortunate to have had the opportunity to serve in that capacity and work directly with, with Mike, um, work with our executive committee. That's our, basically our board of directors at the USGA, and our executive committee is is an amazing group of very talented and successful individuals, 15 of them um, who dedicate and give so much of their time. Larry, I know you're a board member of the SCGA, so thank you for what you do at the SCGA. Um, but well, I, I learned I learned yeah. so much from working with, with the executive committee and also with our executive leadership team um, in that chief of staff role. Yeah, some very talented people to be sure, um, you know, Tony Anderson's, we can go down the list. I mean, lots of people and uh, Fred and the rest of them. And of course, you know, Mark Newell, someone who I was partners with for 35 years. And um, he certainly had his impact between the rules and the governance and stuff for the USGA. So 
that had to be pretty neat to work with all those people, very high caliber people like that. Um, yeah, so, well, and just just talking about Mark Newell, yeah. he served as president while I was chief of staff, and right. I I learned so much from Mark and have so much respect for him. And so, yeah, we um, we shared a lot, awful lot of early morning emails together during uh, his tenure as president. That doesn't surprise me, you know. Having shared our Latham's global tax department all the years Mark was vice chair, particularly being on the West Coast, there was no shortage of early morning emails. No one can email like Mark. And the thing that always blows me away about Mark is he literally, I don't know about you, but when I draft emails where I'm drafting you know, an important email like that, you know, I do it, I revise it and everything. Mark, it's like right off his fingers. I mean, it just, he doesn't need to revise it all. He's a pretty amazingly talented um, person. It's not surprising to think, you know, no, he was a Supreme Court clerk. I'm sure Lewis Powell loved having him. But um, anyways, um, lots of neat people you're working with. And then Mike Wan um, comes uh, to the organization um, in 2021, um, I guess probably sometime in the middle of the year. I know it was announced early in the year. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and then in the fall, I guess, comes to you and um, I think wants to put you in a new position, chief member services officer, if I'm getting the lingo right. Um, maybe describe what that was like. Obviously, now, now you're on the senior leadership team because you're one of his, along with uh, folks like John Bodenhammer, you know, one of his direct uh, reports. Um, but maybe talk about what that position involves and what that's been like. Sure. Um, yeah, you're, you're right about the timing in the fall. I um, Mike approached me, this is uh, 2021, about um, serving in, in a new capacity um, as Chief Member Services Officer. And um, what that entailed really was a couple of things. One was executive leadership of the regional affairs team. So in some ways, going back to my roots. Yeah, back to the future for you, right? Back exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, reconnecting in a more formal way with, with that team and with the AGA community. Um, which is just so familiar to me. So, you know, that that was wonderful to, to formally reconnect there. Um, the green section is another one of my executive responsibilities. And okay. that's an area that I, you know, I, I may have rattled off earlier um, in just passing, but that that's a group that I, I truthfully did not have a, a real strong understanding of. And it's a group that I continue to learn from day in, day out. Um, but it's a it's a very unique team. Its existence is over 100 years old just as a department. Um, so we have been in this space um, for a very long time. And it's a it's a large team, mostly field based. Um, and we've got a couple of different areas of focus um, within the green section. Research is really kind of the underpinnings of the department's work. And the USGA has a very robust research program in environmental and turf grass research. We've we've been at that since 1983, and I think have um, invested 45 million dollars since then. Um, roughly about two million dollars a year, give or take, depending on the projects that that are surfaced. But we partner with with universities um, and scientists and professors um, to really you know, kind of be the leading edge of looking at things like turf grass breeding and different techniques and, and technologies and how do we continue to ensure that the game has these tools and these, you know, again, turf grass um, strains and things that ensure that the game is less reliant on critical resources. Um, so that that's one component of the green section. Another component is our education. And this is really primarily delivered through um, like our green section record, which is a, a digital newsletter, um, digital magazine, you know, every other week. I think we've got about 18,000 subscribers to that uh, record, you know, our Twitter, we've got a podcast, we've got videos. So really how we can best, you know, communicate environmental, agronomic, you know, related guidance and advice is through the education team. We've got a tools team within the green section and that tools team, you know, is responsible for everything from the stent meter, you know, selling those to golf course superintendents to, you know, more advanced things like Deacon and GS3. GS3 is um, 
is something we announced earlier this year, but it's really like a smart ball. Um, it's a it's a piece of technology. It's literally a golf ball size and weight of an actual golf ball, but it enables information to be shared with golf course superintendents about the conditions of their putting surfaces. So things oh, wow. like speed, you know, trueness, fir the firmness. Um, th there's there's a number of different components that are incorporated within that GS3 device. And so really what we're doing is providing more data-driven you know, decisions to be made by the superintendent. So that's something that we're really excited about and something that I think you'll probably be hearing more about. And then the last piece of the green section team is really kind of the, the bread and butter, and that's our consulting. This is our course consulting on an individualized basis um, where we'll go out and, and give the expert guidance um, about a particular situation or, you know, maybe just a, you know, kind of an evaluation of the, of a, of the facility. And we've got a team of agronomists, about nine, 10 agronomists on the team that are field-based and that do this day in and day out. They also serve in an important role at our USGA championships. Um, so each USGA like championship that, yeah. has one of our agronomists, or in some cases, a couple of agronomists um, on site at a championship working well in advance to help help make sure that we're working in tandem with that local golf course superintendent to prepare the facility for the championship. And then they're there during the conduct of the championship. So I kind of went deep on the green section there, but just wanted to explain a couple of the different um, areas of focus that we have within the team. Do you? So um, I'm glad you did. So we had Red Evans on a couple of weeks ago. So you guys must in the green section be working somewhat in tandem with the GCSAA, I would have. Uh... Imagine we that we do, we do. We work um, very cooperatively with the GCSAA. Actually, I actually I serve on the GCSA Foundation Board. Okay. Um, and so have worked very closely with Rhett and his team. And um, yeah, in fact, we talk with them quite a bit. Um, they of course represent the golf course superintendent community. Right. Um, and they've they've got you know a number of members. Um, and so we're constantly talking with them listening, you know, making sure that we're coordinated on, on our planning. Awesome. So um, uh, maybe just uh, sort of stepping back a bit um, and, you know, if someone, you know, is listening, people who are listening to this, you know, obviously know golf a little bit, but I mean, if we're going to sort of step back uh, and look at the overall mission of the USGA, I know, Mike, if I get the letters right here, it's Unify for the U, Showcase, govern and advance. He is such a um, branding guy. I mean, and, um, you know, it, it, I, I love that he did that. I, I actually think Mike Kelly's doing something similar for the FCGA. But um, the, um, you know, if you kind of just sit back and sort of, when you think of the USGA, if I was talking to a golfer and trying to explain to him or her, um, the PGA Tour is what it is. That's for the professionals. The PGA itself of America, that's sort of for the club professionals, if you will. Um, and um, you guys are just sort of, I would guess, what stewards of the amateur game. I mean, obviously you conduct the U.S. Open too, but how would you sort of, you know, in a concisely describe what the overall mission is for the USGA? Um, yeah, we can talk about the, the, the structure of the Unify Showcase Government Advance. Yeah, in a that'd second. be great. I, I think, you know, I the way we like to talk about it here is we like to, we want the game to be healthy, sustainable, thriving for our kids' kids or for, you know, the next several generations. So, you know, we think about what does, what does the game look like and how can we ensure the game is, you know, healthy for the next 20, 50, 100 years is sort of how we kind of step back. You know, we really don't have, um, an audience group. We don't have a membership that we're beholden to. Of course, we have a USA membership, but um, we right. interact with the golf community at so many different levels that we're unique in the fact that we, we're not just solely focused on one customer group. So, you know, we really like to, to think and, and talk about, you know, how can we make decisions today that ensures the game is vibrant and healthy, you know, decades from now, or, you know, 20, 50, 100 years from now. So that's sort of how we talk about it inter internally. It's also how you'll probably hear us talk a little bit more about that externally. Um, but the structure of the Unify Showcase Govern Advance 
you're right, was introduced by Mike Juan and it's been a terrific way for us to talk more consistently, just even as a staff about our organization. And, you know, we kind of joked earlier, like there's so many different dimensions to the USGA and um, the Unified Showcase Government Advance is a way for us to try to capture in these sort of four buckets, some of the key things that we do for the game. And so, you know, if we think about, you know, unifying the golf community, unifying the game, I mean, we do that through the World Handicap System, um, which we do that in tandem with the RNA. There's 120 countries that utilize the WHS. Um, we've got GIN, which is a USGA product, but that's that's a platform for golfers to, you know, compete and share their handicap information. Um, you know, course ratings is another way that the game is unified and for us to be able to then create the handicap system, you know, based off of the course rating. Um, I think the other avenue that when we think about unifying is the AGA community and really, you know, our partnership is so important with the AGAs, um, but helping to, to provide sort of that, you know, unified approach to golfers and to golf clubs. And so that's sort of some of the key things that we talk about when we think unify um, showcase, you know, this, this might be the, the shortest part. This is really our championships. This is how we use, you know, our championships to, um, to promote and, and, you know, it, celebrate, you know, players at all different levels within their lifespan. Um, we have 15 national championships each year, plus, you know, Walker Cup, Curtis Cup. Um, I think the unique thing that we're very proud of with our championships is the openness. Truly, you know, if you have the game, we encourage you to, to, to play and to try to qualify. Um, so both on the men's side, women's side, you know, at the, the young end, the, the older end, um, you know, there's something for everybody. Um, and then I think in the showcase is another area where we can probably talk about the USA Museum. And Larry, you mentioned that museum right. you know, earlier in this conversation. Yeah. Um, but our museum is an amazing treasure trove yeah. of unique uh, memorabilia. Um, it's actually the oldest sports museum um, in the country. Interesting. And that I ever, didn't know. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're ever in, um, you know, kind of that northern New Jersey area we'd encourage anybody to pop on by and, and to see that museum um we are going to be opening up um a second headquarters in pinehurst right um later this year and that second headquarters in pinehurst will actually also house the world golf hall of fame so that's relocating from florida right. relocating from northern florida right yeah exactly so we'll have the world golf hall of fame and we'll also have some USGA experience elements to our headquarters there in Pinehurst, but that that would be another opportunity to kind of see some of our artifacts, you know, in person. So that's really kind of the showcase, um, you know, bucket. And then under Govern, um, this is perhaps what we're most known for beyond the U.S. Open, but um, really creating the structure for the game. And so that really is involved in a few different areas. One is equipment um, standards. So this is golf club, golf ball, conformance testing, um, the rules of golf. So writing, interpreting, um, educating, certifying, um, you know, around the rules of golf. And then um, lastly, amateur status. Um, similar, again, there's a, there's a whole set of rules and decisions and interpretations around amateur status. And in some ways, the handicap system, you know, could also, I mean, technically it is you know, right. there is a, a code for the handicap system, um, but uh, that that's how we really talk about governance or those three areas. And then right. lastly, just rounding things out in the advance area. So, if, again, we've talked about the U, the S, the G, and now the A, advance. Um, we talk about, you know, improving the long-term sustainability uh, and creating a more inclusive game. And a couple of different ways that we are um, focused in, and that is we talked green section a, a few minutes ago, um, but really our agronomy support and expertise is is second to none. Um, I'll talk in a second about a, a specific project we're working on in the green section, and then um, some some DEI related work um, is uh, is underway in terms of how do we create more inclusivity within the game, um, as well as our work. It, with some of our partners at the national level with the first tee 
LPGA, USGA, Girls Golf, and Drive, Chip, and Putt are kind of some of our more formalized programs um, that we we sort of lump into that advanced. And you're doing it, and, and Mike has this idea of a national team now, right, in terms of... Uh... That's right. That's right. Yeah. So thanks for mentioning that. And that, that would also sort of fall into that advanced area. Um, but the U.S. National Development Team is something that we previously announced and are very much working toward building... Um, not only an internal staff and team to administer that, but also building out the program and building out things like a grants process so that, you know, this is this is a an offering for anybody, regardless of their, you know, socioeconomic background. So, you know, more to come on 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 that. We've kind of been calling it Team USA, U.S. National Development Team. It's kind of interchangeable, um, but we're really excited about about that. And then just back quickly to the green section, I mentioned there's a project we're working yeah. on. Um, this is this is something that we previously talked about. Um, and we talked about it, you know, we call it internally sort of this 15, over the next 15 years, we want to spend $30 million to allow individual golf courses the opportunity to save up to 45% of water. Um, and, and I know this is a, a topic, you know, probably near and dear to to where you are, Larry, in Absolutely. Southern California. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, looking out ahead to, you know, what does the game look like? Going back to how do we ensure the game is healthy for the next many decades? Um, the, you know, the, the reduction of critical resources is of paramount concern, particularly in some areas, and water is is chief among those things. And so, you know, this, this project that we embarked on, um, really last year and into this year is focused on how do we unlock um, a lot of things that are already available to facilities and maybe some new technologies, some new techniques, some things that maybe haven't been developed yet. How do we provide what would be a, a, a toolkit, um, you know, a playbook, um, if you will, to facilities so that there's a range of of options for them to consider if they're faced in a situation where they need to, to reduce, you know, um, water. And so, you know, things, some very basic things like irrigation system maintenance, you know, some, some, I'll call them low cost um, ideas that, you know, on one end of the spectrum, on the other end of the spectrum, there's other things that we're out right now in the field working to demonstrate the, the validity of these things, things like subsurface drip irrigation, which has been around, but really not implemented in a wide scale manner. And so, you know, that's just one example. Um, we've got, I believe, nine or 10 demonstration projects in the field right now that hmm. our green section team is, wow. is managing and, you know, working on top of the research that we're, we're conducting, you know, or funding, I should say, working with with universities that I mentioned earlier. And so at the end of this, we hope to have a, you know, a playbook that would be available to any golf course facility that's interested um, for them to, you know, take a look at different options. And we recognize that not every course has the funding or the wherewithal to implement some of these, you know, considerations. But the idea is, you know, let's take a lot of um, ideas and you know research and white papers and let's translate into actionable steps that facilities could consider if they're if they're you know put in a in a pinch so more to come on that um but that's something that we're really excited about and do feel like that will make a significant impact to the golf community um you know for for the future for the time to come that sounds awesome um so i'll get you out of here on this um if you kind of look forward, and I know, as you properly noted, um, uh, the USGA really uh, understandably prides itself on being very forward-looking, not what's going to be great tomorrow or five years, but 10, 20, 50, 100 years out. Um, as you sort of look forward, what do you sort of see um, the biggest challenges um, that you guys are, you know, thinking about grappling with? I'm sure part of it's what you just talked about, you know, with the environment and, and the water. And of course, you know, we, as you alluded to, really experience that out here. Um, and, um, you know, we see lots of people dealing with that different ways, taking, you know, the club I'm at, we take all this turf out of play, 
you know, and have the turf be firmer and everything much different than, you know, I grew up in the New England where, you know, it was so lush and, you know, now, you know, it's much firmer and, you know, kind of more fun actually to see, you know, as, as, as your um, colleague, John Bodenhammer likes to talk about, you know, they like to sort of see, you know, it's not just where the ball goes in the air, but what happens after it hits the ground when he was out here for the LA uh, US Open at LACC. So I'm sure that's part of at least something on the list, but just beyond that, what do you kind of see as the biggest challenges you guys are grappling with as you kind of look forward. Yeah, I mean, so before we talk challenges, I do, I do think that right now we've got a lot of positive momentum in the game that yeah. we're really excited about, you know, so sure, I, I think absolutely, especially building off of the surge that we saw and experienced during and immediately after COVID, absolutely. you know, with just sort of a resurgence. So I think that's, that's very positive and, you know, we want to sort of seize that momentum. I, you know, I think on the challenge side, on the other side of the coin, I think, you know, it's a little bit of what I talked about earlier, ensuring we've got golf courses to play and ensuring that those courses um, are are being, you know, kind of managing environmental issues, you know, namely water shortages, so that we don't face a time where we don't have golf courses in specific parts of our country because, you know, water is not an available resource. So I think, you know, that's something, again, as we look out the time horizon over the next several decades, you know, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, um, you know, what are the things we can be doing now so that we can ensure we provide, you know, the guidance and, you know, the, the kind of the resources to facilities so that we don't face a situation where golf disappears from certain parts of this, from this country. So I would probably say, you know, one of the biggest challenges, one of the things that we're really focused on, and that's, you know, kind of that water conservation effort that I talked about, and how do we bring to bear all of our research with practical su suggestions, you know, for implementation, you know, not just pie in the sky ideas, but real life solutions, you know, for facilities to consider those. So I would probably answer your question in, in that regard. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. And uh, totally echo you, you know, COVID is horrible as it was, it had a, a positive impact in golf, because it was like the quintessentially socially distanced activity and um you know and and hopefully some of the people who either came back to the game got introduced to the game will will stick with it um because i agree with you there is a lot of a lot of positive momentum emily thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and um it's um great to hear about everything going on in the usga great to hear your role in it and um uh thrilled that you're there and uh helping move the game forward well, Larry, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. And um, again, thank you for the, the work that you do at the SCGA and for being such great partners. You know, the, we, of course, I'm biased because I spent a lot of time at the SCGA, but we think very highly of, of what the Southern Cal Golf Association has done and continues to do. So thank you for your role in that. Our, my pleasure. Take care, Emily. Okay. Bye.